listeners and welcome to today's podcast where we invite our guests to bear all and hashtag spill the tea. Today's spill the tea podcast is brought to you by Ellie McCulloch and Seamus Bonner from All Saints Academy and Eliza Dyson and Isabella Parry from St Edward's School. Joining us we have the pleasure of welcoming today's exciting guest Susie Perry. Susie is a British television presenter currently covering MotoGP for BT Sport. She is well known for covering MotoGP for the BBC for 13 years. The Gadget Show on Channel 5 for five years and the BBC's Formula One coverage from 2013 to 2015 as her first permanent female anchor. Other hosting and reporting credits have included the BBC's live coverage of the Royal Ascot, Wimbledon, the London Marathon, the Olympics, the Great North Run and the famous boat race. Susie really is showing us that women have a vital role in sports these days and we are delighted to have her here with us in the studio today. Susie, your experience to date has heavily involved STEM and the more practical subjects. In your opinion, how important do you think practical subjects such as sport, drama, DT, art and music are in schools? I think it's vital. Um, hello, everybody, by the way. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I think it's absolutely vital that there's a combination available for everybody at school to try. This is the time where you need to know whether you like something or not. So to have everything on show and to be able to go and try something is um, extraordinary. Personally, for me at school, I... I lived at school for sport and drama and art. I think it's the only A I got in an O level for my art. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I think it makes you a more complete person. I think it brings a lot of the fun element into learning as well, which should be a huge part of learning. It shouldn't all be, you know, hard learning, books, uh, chalkboards, that kind of thing. I um, don't even know if you have chalkboards anymore might share my age <laughs> but yeah I, I do think it's uh, paramount that there's a combination of um, different kinds of subjects that you can go and have a try at and the other thing with that is it, it also provokes a team atmosphere so you know sport um, makes you part of a team which is a really important part of learning so I love that element too you have 2.7 thousand subscribers on your YouTube channel a lot of young students are inspired to start their own YouTube journeys these days what advice do you have to anyone wishing to start that, that career? Well, unlike me, I would say launch your YouTube channel, which I haven't done yet. Um, I haven't really promoted mine, but I've been using it as a content bank because I had a show, I made a show last year that I created at home and just wanted somewhere to save the content until I knew what to do with it. But I would say always about anything, have a go. If you've got an idea then go for it. And we're in an age now where you can make your own TV channel and your own TV show as you're talking about YouTube. Let's take that as a platform. It's very successful. And obviously over the last 12 months, it's become even more successful. And what I like about it for young people is it means that you're in complete control of your program. And it's proved to be incredibly successful. There are some um, you know, guys out there that are earning fortunes and uh, really uh, knocking it out of the ballpark. So I think it's a great idea and, and the reason why something works is either you have a fantastic idea and it's a great format or ideally a combination of a good format and a good personality. 
So the advice that I was always given when I was young by my dad was just to be myself. And sometimes that is quite hard because I think when someone puts a camera in front of your face, you can overact or you can try too hard. Uh, the best thing to be is just very relaxed and then you become good company and you're very watchable. So uh, a relaxed attitude and a good idea, I think that combination is a winner. Looking back on the difficult year we've all had together as a nation and reflecting on the challenges of lockdown and the impact that this has had on work and in particular the impact that it momentarily had on filming, television and broadcasting, how important do you think embracing technology and welcoming the virtual side of everything is? I think this has been fast forwarded in some ways and it's absolutely vital uh, if i told you that 12 months ago we were broadcasting on television using our mobile phones in our kitchens gardens sheds wherever we all were all over the globe actually because i wasn't in the uk and it was staying on air and we're using consumer technology for that that's incredible that we can do that it's not ideal uh, we thought we we're going to fall off the air all the time but we managed to stay on air so I think it goes to show just how far consumer technology has come. And then looking at it, you know, slightly differently from learning, uh, from working, it showed us that we can work from different places. We can work remotely and maybe we don't like doing that all the time, but perhaps to achieve a better work-life balance, we know that we can communicate now using the technology that we have. And technology has been a great winner, really, over the last 12 months. I think globally it's um, become very user-friendly and very good. So it's definitely a tool that works for us and um, we should embrace the parts of it that we like as ever with technology and discard what doesn't work. So before becoming a TV presenter, you were a model. How was the transition between modelling and presenting and why did you choose to change careers? <laughs> um, this is a very long time ago. You're racking my brain here. Um, I never was really supposed to be a model, in truth. I went to Polytechnic to do a degree and I was offered a contract because I was kind of working part-time then as a model and I was also working at the theatre to get money to study and I was offered a contract to go to Japan as a model and um, I went over there to do TV commercials and a lot of advertising work and it was fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. So when I came back, I moved to London. And I realised that it was, to be honest, it was a very easy way of earning money and I got to travel. So it seemed like a great ticket. Um, I did it for a few years and I, and I loved it. I had a lot of fun. I worked a lot. I met some wonderful people. I travelled loads. And then I got fed up with it. And at 27, I, <laughs> I retired from that because it wasn't really what I was supposed to do. I really wanted to go into music promotion when I left Polytechnic. But that didn't work out. And I just wanted to change. I wanted to use my brain a bit more. I wanted to challenge myself further. And I was very heavily into bike racing and motorsport because the friends that I kicked around with at that time, you know, they were all into it as well. And we used to ride bikes and go and watch the racing and watch every Sunday. And I'd be there on the sofa at home like we all are armchair commentators shouting at the television and my friend said to me why don't you ring up and find out you know why they don't do these kind of interviews and the ideas that I was sort of throwing at the tv so I did I I called Sky Sports at the time spoke to Martin Turner who was head of everything in motorsport he asked to see me I went to see him uh, I took a video that I'd made which was utterly dreadful 
and he offered me a job as a reporter. So it was a very strange way to get into television. Uh, it was a wonderful way to get in. It was a baptism of fire. This is my first show with a live six-hour broadcast of Brands Hatch with open talkback, motorbikes, speaking to riders from different countries, and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but fortunately, he saw something that he thought could be produced and developed and a passion that I had, and I was given a chance, and I'll always be forever grateful for that. Uh, moving from uh, yeah, modelling, which is what I had been doing at the time, into television, was really quite difficult because they're two completely different careers and very different skill sets. As it is throughout television, really, even going from reporter to act being the anchor of a programme, they're both very different jobs. But I loved it and I worked really hard to make sure that I knew what, you know, what I was talking about and also the technical side of broadcasting I had to work on and a little bit of self-producing and I had to listen and take direction and it was just a new world and I, I absolutely loved it and I embraced all of it and I watched everything back that I did and I hated most of it as I still do today but it makes you realise what works and what doesn't work and I think that's key in television to improving yourself and I don't think you ever do the perfect broadcast but sometimes I feel like we may have got close <laughs> but that hasn't happened very often in my career so still learning still improving after 25 years. Thank you. What's it like being a woman in the predominantly male environment of Formula One and racing? Do you think you're treated differently? I think this is a really hard question to answer and I'll tell you why because I only know what it's like to be a woman in broadcasting so it's quite hard to be able to compare between being a man and being a woman though I totally understand why you've asked me the question. It is a question I get asked a lot and I do find it very difficult to answer. All I can tell you is that when I started I had a quite hard time and I was looked upon as if I didn't know what I was talking about and Certainly, there were elements that I needed to learn. Some people gave me a chance and some didn't. This is going back to the late 90s. Uh, I was the only woman in the in the whole paddock that was a broadcaster. I was the first woman in the world to be um, a broadcaster in bike racing. There weren't any other. So no wonder I was looked at in a quite strange way. And it takes a while, I think, to be respected. I mean, I, I would say it, it took me... With some people, they gave me a chance, but I think it probably took me a good decade before I actually became respected. I got a lot of work. I think I got a lot of work because I was a girl. Um, I certainly could do the job, but a lot of people weren't convinced. So it was a difficult time, and I think it probably made me a better broadcaster. When I went into Formula One, I felt like I had to go through the same situation all over again, and I had to prove myself whilst being relaxed, even though I'd been doing the job for, you know, already 15 years. It was uh, quite an extraordinary feeling and situation. My ethos, ultimately, coming out of all of this is you can't please everybody all of the time. You never can. But just take criticism from people that you trust and respect and also only take compliments from people that you trust and respect. If you do that, I think you get quite a good level. What was it like presenting Susie's Breakfast Club from your own home during lockdown? Did you it find was it brilliant. Un- <laughs> Did you like it then? <laughs> oh, you know, it was such a strange thing that this has become because we we kind of tentatively, I'm saying we because I have a, a, a lodger, a guy that lodges at my house, and I did a couple of live Instagram chats, really. They were just sort of Q&As because I felt the mood was very down and people seemed to want to 
you know, kind of trusty face that they know in the corner of their room that they're used to. So I popped on and did these couple of chats and, and it just grew organically, really. And then I had my friend Otis Dooley from The Gadget Show join and Gavin Emmett from MotoGP and Neil Hodgson. And people suddenly were like, oh, this is great. Can you get more guests? And because it was the first lockdown, nobody was doing anything. And I got the most incredible people come on to Instagram to talk to me, like Carol Borderman and Eamon Holmes and different musicians, beautiful country singers like Ward Thomas and um, Jack Stavaretti. That You know, there were so many people that came on and wonderful motorcycle world champions like Max Biaggi and Formula One as well. You know, we, we had so many big names. It was really fun. And what I really loved about it was the fact that we could chat for about an hour in such relaxed manner, which you just don't get to see these days because everything is so short. Uh, and it felt like going back to the 70s and listening to broadcasters that I really like, like Michael Parkinson, who would have time to you know get things out of people. And I liked it. And people revealed a lot of stuff on that. It was, it was really interesting. It was also very funny. Um, it became quite time consuming though to be quite honest with you because if you're putting together an hour show every single day you know I was booking the guests uh, chasing them down promoting it editing the content trying to upload it um, so it was a great experience I learned a lot actually um, and I, in the second lockdown you know a lot of people were like you're going to do it again but I was working quite heavily during that and I knew how time consuming it was so I didn't, but I also felt it was very much of the moment and I felt the time had kind of gone. But what it did do, and I, I think the most special thing was that it bonded quite a lot of people together because they came, they would come on every day and it was good company and they met people online. And there's still groups of people now that have WhatsApp groups that they call themselves like the Breakfast Club 7. And, you know, it's nice to know that people sort of united together and it became quite a community. So I'm I'm very proud of it. And it was, it just shows as well what can come from a little idea. So do you prefer TV or radio broadcasting and why? That's a great question. I have, I'm probably more known for TV broadcasting. I've been doing it for 25 years. Um, in fact, I probably love radio a little bit more. <laughs> the reason I say that is it's very immediate and it's very intimate. So you get a reaction straight away. And I like that. I like feeling like you have a community around you. Maybe it's because you're just talking into a mic and I have quite a vivid imagination. And when you're in a studio and you have a camera, it's not a barrier because obviously it is a kind of vortex into people's homes. But there's something just warmer about radio and it's quite hard to describe. But I also love music. So if I'm on hosting a music show, that for me is, a real happy place because I grew up with a lot of live music. My father was a music promoter and he managed a rock band. So it's a side of me that I don't get to talk about on television very often because it's not sport. So it's quite nice. It's it's a different um, it's a different facet, it's a different part of my personality. And I, I'm afraid on TV, people put you in a they pigeonhole you, they put you in a box. You know, she's sport, she's motorsport. You know, could be quite specific about it. Um, and I, I think we're all so much more than that, you know. I mean, I'm a massive animal lover. I, I'm a big photographer. I like gardening. But lots of people don't know these things because they think you just ride a motorbike around all your life, which obviously, you know, I do sometimes. But um, nice to show the other side of the personality, I think. 
Tell us about your trip to India and the inspiration behind your videos of Tiger Tales. How important do you think travel is and what do you have to say about traveling to our young listeners today? I've always really embraced traveling and love traveling. Obviously, it's very difficult at the moment, but let's jump on a little forward in time to hopefully when we can travel a little bit more. I hope it doesn't change too much in terms of cost and I hope people can still travel to what I would call exotic places like India. My dream was to always go and take pictures of tigers and see a tiger in the wild in its own natural habitat. That's why I went to India. Um, I've spent some time in South Africa taking pictures of animals over there, which I loved. And I find it completely immersive when I'm photographing animals. And it's all I think about. It takes away any stresses and strains of anything else that might be in my life because all I think about is capturing that moment on film. And so I went to India in search of a tiger. I stayed at the most beautiful uh, tented camp in a place called uh, Shergar in Kana, which is famous for having tigers. And uh, off I went with my camera in the Jeep to see if we could track a tiger and, you know, snap some pictures. I went with a good friend of mine who um, uh, was, yeah, who, who also was into the same thing. And we together decided that we would document it with a bit of video as well. She's a producer and uh, we wanted to make a bit of content and it was our first foray into making a short piece of content because we're both so used to linear filming for television. And that's where Tiger Tales came from. It came from us really going to take photographs of tigers, but we documented the story and what was going on in our lives at that time and, and made this short 15 minute film, which uh, yeah, has, it has gone down really well. We haven't put it out on any particular platforms, just on Instagram and Vimeo, but um, we're both quite proud of it because it's the, it was the first thing that we did. We shot it on iPhone. So we only used consumer technology and it worked out pretty well, I think. So did you enjoy studying engineering at university and what made you change your career path from STEM into TV presenting? Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I didn't study engineering at university. And I know why you're saying that because I have a degree in engineering. Um, but I will be completely honest with you. It's um, an honorary degree. So I was given that by Wolverhampton University a few years ago because of the work that I've done since and because of my uh, work for charities in, in the town and, um, and my association with engineering so I'm very proud of that I actually studied business and finance um, so, which which can answer your question anyway because I, I didn't use that either um, so yeah I, I left uh, I left university it was polytechnic when I was there to go and live in Japan and, and work over there and then I came back to London you know it's, it's a hard question to answer. All I can say is that when I was growing up, I was very well supported by my parents in terms of whatever I wanted to do, I was allowed to do. I, and when I went to Japan, you know, they, they didn't look at me and say, what are you doing? This is nothing to do with your business degree or it's not the marketing that you wanted to go into. They just enabled me to be able to go and do that and to fly really and to learn and to become you know the person that I was going to become so I didn't do what I thought I was going to do a music promotion and um, I'm, I'm okay with that I'm you know I'm not very rigid and I like if a door opens to have a quick peek and see what's behind it um, because they don't tend to open twice 
So that's sort of how I've lived my life. And when I came back from Japan, I moved to London and modeled for a few years. Then I got into television. And here I am still working in television. And I've worked across different genres of television through um, entertainment and um, sport and, you know, a whole whole different bunch of genres, which has been really interesting. And I like the production side of TV as well. I like to come up with an idea and, and create it rather than just stand in front of the camera and talk. Um, but yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in engineering and the STEM subjects. It's, it's been a big part of my career, ironically, with the gadget show. And, um, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of technology and, you know, I, I do love that side, but, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, how, how we all just, we're not just one thing. We, you know, we have lots of different interests and I think we should be encouraged to develop all of the interests that, that we have. I would say that I'm, a jack of all trades and, and a master of none but I feel okay with that you know and, and some people are very good at one subject and will go on to be a professor or a doctor or you know whatever it is and that's that's great we need we need everybody but um for me I like to switch things up a bit now we really wouldn't be spilling the tea properly if we didn't ask you a few gritty questions at the end to find out the stuff that our listeners really want to know at the end of all our podcast we are asking our final hashtag thirsty free questions to really juice up things up for our listeners our guests haven't been sent these final thirsty free questions so now is our our chance to really get to know them first up what is the most outrageous thing that you've seen in your career so far <laughs> oh outrageous gosh it depends how you how you uh the word outrageous I suppose I don't know I don't know what the answer is to that um I stood on the podium when someone's become a world champion and had champagne sprayed all over me while I've been on live television doing an interview if you can call that outrageous mildly maybe I don't know I've jumped off a bridge um on the gadget show uh doing a bungee jump to test a mobile phone and see how easy it is to use. That's pretty crazy. I think, you know, if we go down the gadget show route, there's probably lots of things on there that were outrageous. Um, night flying in a Chinook helicopter to test night vision goggles, flying with the red arrows, um, flying a typhoon, breaking the sound barrier. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky to do some extraordinary things. Looking back on your life, whether you know them or not, if you had to pick uh, one person to thank, that is the centre of everything that you've done and that it is your ultimate inspiration, who is that and why? That's my dad. Um, my dad is my hero and I'm very lucky to have a hero in my family. He inspired me hugely growing up. He was went from being an accountant to managing a rock band and touring America. So um, it's quite different. And um, it showed me that it doesn't matter what you train in. It doesn't mean you have to stay in that genre. You can, you know, you can, you can achieve your dreams if you go for it. And my dad, despite the world that he grew up in and, and worked in, is actually a very calm head and, I always go to him for advice. He doesn't overuse words, and I respect him hugely. And he's he's been 
just very inspirational to me. My, my mom has two, but um, but particularly my dad, I think because of the area of work that he covered, which is quite similar, I suppose, in some ways, has a crossover effect into the work the, the world that I've worked in. So it has given me really great advice. And um, I think the one thing, the two things that he said to me in my life that have been the best bits of advice have been just be yourself and take a deep breath. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever been given? <laughs> um, what's the worst piece? Of, there's like bits and probably late 90s that people telling me what I should wear and that I should wear more lipstick or lower tops. Or I mean, this is a very different time in the 90s to, to how it is now. And it sounds extremely sexist. And it was, actually. It was very sexist then. So those are the worst pieces of, of advice. But even more recently, when I was doing Formula One, you know, somebody said to me, I don't like it when you smile on camera. And those kinds of things take away your confidence. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry because you question yourself. So I think anything that makes you question yourself, um, that's, that's derogatory, is, is very bad advice. And, um you know, to be on television, to be on radio, to be doing anything to do with the media, you have to have an inner confidence. But it doesn't mean that you feel super confident every day. I think we are all fragile as human beings and we all have down days and we all question ourselves. And what you don't want is somebody playing on that. And those are the people that you have to work out who's on your side and who isn't on your side. Susie, you've been an absolute star and inspiration and thank you for spilling the tea with us here at All Saints Academy. This podcast is brought to you by the Cheltenham Educational Partnership and it's been fantastic to work alongside our partner secondary schools to get to know our surrounding professionals even more. Tune in next week where we are joined by Oxford versus Cambridge boat race winner, great British athlete and the cox that made BBC history, Morgan Baham Williams. Thanks for listening and we can't wait for next week where, as usual, we promise to To spill the tea! (laughs) Guys, I would like to say one more thing. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you and I wish you and your listeners all the very, very best of luck and good luck with this podcast. Thank you. Spill the, spill the, spill the tea. Spill the, spill the, spill the tea. Today's Spill the Tea podcast was brought to you by the Cheltenham Educational Partnership.